Live from LIC, it's the Three Course Politics Podcast. So welcome, Josh and I are together for this podcast today. Um, I'm Hills. I'm Josh. Uh, and we have a very, very special pod for you today. We're live. We're together. Live, um, although you won't be hearing this live, but we're live, and that's the most important thing. Exactly. Um, so today we're going to talk about a couple of things. Uh, we're going to give you a really light appetizer with <laughs> talking about the very restrictive and terrible abortion laws in uh, the South. Really light. Really just something just to clean your palate with. Yeah. And then we're going to go into a little two-part entree. Uh, you get a little bit about Infrastructure Week. And then you get a little bit about uh, their reports about Trump's new strategy on health care. It's great. It's a great strategy. Uh, <laughs> he's going to take it all the way from you. And that's the be- that's strategy. And then for dessert, we're going to talk a little bit about social media and about uh, people who maybe rely on it too much. You know, you have to be able to put your phone down at some point. And some politicians don't. And we're going to talk about it. Uh, and they may pay for it, too. And that'll be the show today. So, I, without further ado, we're going to give you your pre-dinner shot. Alright, so here is your pre-dinner shot. It has to relate to the appetizer, so it gives you a little hint about what it might be. The pre-dinner shot question is, when, as in what year, was Roe vs. Wade decided? And a little bit of extra credit, because you always got to get that extra credit, because teachers like that. Uh, is who is Roe and who is Wade? So your appetizer today, Abor- abortion laws in red states, honestly. What are they? Alabama kicked it off. Alabama and Georgia kicked this off with passing the most restrictive abortion laws in the United States, and Missouri quickly followed suit because why not, right? Exactly. So uh, I'd want to preface this is that we are two white men talking about abortion. We are not the best people to be talking about this topic, but it is still important that this topic is discussed. Yeah, and we're we're honestly, we're not supporting those laws at all. So uh, we just want to talk about it and what they mean. Uh, you know, what are they? Why is this happening? And what can Dems do about it? So right. I think the last part is most important because I I don't know of a single Dem who likes this or supports this. So it's important that we talk about what can Democrats do to battle this. Yeah. So what are they? Uh, they. Uh, are very restrictive abortion laws um, passed. I mean, in, in Missouri, there is uh, uh, no exception for abortion, even in rape or incest or the health of the mother, which is pr- pretty crazy. Um, I think there are six or eight week uh, abortion bans. And honestly, I've, I've heard from a lot of women, you know, women don't even know sometimes they're pregnant uh, yeah. until then. I mean, there are so many things that happen. Right. I think Georgia has the heartbeat bill, mm-hmm. which is after six weeks, I think abortion becomes not legal, which is crazy. Because like Hill said, sometimes women don't know 
they're pregnant until it's been six weeks, and then you know you're already stuck. I guess it's it's a horrible situation. Yeah, and and it's it's uh, something to say. A lot of these laws are created by older white men Mm -hmm. and there are some women who also are complicit in this that go along in those legislatures but honestly a lot of the authors especially in alabama are primarily older white men who a will will not get abortions and b don't know the first thing about any of this so why are they even doing this right it's the age-old question where i guess you know a uh, it's not the place of a man to be able to tell a woman what to do with her body it's a woman's choice. It should be, um, and and if you think otherwise, it's it, it's crazy. Yeah, and these people all think otherwise, and, and they're crazy. Yeah, so yeah, it's a woman's uh, choice. They have the option to do it, and it should be safe, legal, and hopefully rare. So right. yeah, uh, it doesn't seem uh, more simple than that, but uh, it gets complicated. So and like I said, we're two white men. We're not going to go into <laughs> all the details. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're not qualified for that. So, but let's answer the question, why are these uh, legislatures doing it? So there's a couple of reasons. One of them is that ever since Roe vs. Wade was decided, and we're not going to tell you when because we asked you that earlier, ever since it was decided, there has been a movement in this country to try and get it overturned. You know, uh, a lot of people uh, religiously are against abortion, for a lot of different reasons and you know you can be against abortion but you can also let the practice happen but they don't want it they want it to be completely illegal um because proponents uh you know pro-life i don't like using those terms because i think right. they're false terms yeah. because everyone's really pro-life but they think that you're you're murdering um a child in the womb so um but why are they doing this right now uh we have kavanaugh on the supreme court the conservatives have a 5-4 majority, so they see this as a way to get abortion back to the Supreme Court, so then maybe not an over, or outright you know, overturn of the precedent, but they can chip away at the real, clear, legal distinction that abortion is legal. They can start chipping away at that, and this could be the first big shot of passing something so restrictive that it won't ever... It won't ever take place because the courts are going to stop it, but it'll go up to the Supreme Court, and that's why they're doing it. This is the right time because they have Trump, they have a Senate that won't do anything, and they have the Supreme Court. So this is their opportunity. It's more like if we don't do this now, when will we ever get it done? And Hills is right in saying that it is mostly, not always, but it's mostly the religious right who say that Life starts at conception. Um, and they say, you know, pro-life, right? But the bigger question is, do they support policies when the child is born that will allow that, that child to succeed? Do they support <laughs> universal pre-K that's already been paid for? No. Do they support uh, things like uh, if you are on food stamps, if you are unemployed, you know, um, no, they do not. What uh, kind of craziness <laughs> is that, Josh? It's so crazy. You can't claim to be pro-life, and then when the child is born, and say, oh, no, sorry, you're going to be a taker. <laughs> it's, 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 it's insane. 
they're quote pro-life until the life is out of the womb and right. then it's every man for you know the baby could pull itself itself up by its <laughs> own bootstraps <laughs> right bootstrap, they right. don't need any help you no, know no they've they've had what nine months to, mm-hmm. to, to get ready come on yeah yeah they could have applied for a couple of jobs in there <laughs> <laughs> so that anyway that's why i hate the term pro-life and pro-choice because right. the people who say they're pro-life i think pro-choice people are also pro-life right they just anyway different uh different story so what should dems do about this and this is the most important thing um well democrats have to vote that's the uh, first yeah. thing first thing you have to register and you have to vote which is harder in a lot of these states because mm. they pass a lot of restrictive laws um so that's that's the first thing because you don't get these things passing state legislatures if you have people who don't like this in power right well and, and i mean as terrible as these laws are this should not come as a surprise to anyone trump said he was going to stack the supreme court so why should we be surprised because he told us he was going to do this yep they told and that this is the gambit that the conservatives and why they still tolerate trump is because he was like hey vote for me and i'll do whatever you want on on abortion and conservative principles but you have to look the other way on all the other oh, no, not immoral terrible stuff. and terrible things I'm about to do. And they said, sure, right. uh, we'll take this. So that's why they still support him. Right. And the other thing that Dems have to do is Dems have to get better at voting in off-presidential off uh, elections. Because a lot of these people you know, were probably uh, into office when uh, during an off-year uh, a term like you know when the president is not up for re-election you have to still go to the polls you have to go during the midterms you have to go during your local races dems historically don't do well when there is a uh i don't know like a county sheriff race or a judge race or a sheriff or you know local delegates that kind of stuff dems often stay home and then you get these really conservative people who pass these horrible laws, and then it's like, well, did you show up to vote? Probably not. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. I think you. I mean, what you can do right now um, is call your representatives if you live there. I mean, they may not mm-hmm. listen to you, but it's worth trying. You can donate to certain nonprofits that that um, help, uh, you know, uh, p- uh, women who are in need of an abortion. Um, in those states, but also, um, so Josh, what should the 2020 Dems do on this? Because mm-hmm. I can easily see, you know, them taking up the mantle, right? but then it's going to energize conservative voters. And my point, my thinking is that it's going to energize them anyway. They right. should really forcefully present a vision of what they want abortion access to look like in this country. Yeah. And honestly, I think, um, as long I think as long as, I mean, it's going to be logical. And as long as you make a very clear statement of comprehensively what you're going to do, not just with abortion access, but uh, postnatal care, I think you're going to get a winning winning coalition there. Yeah, I think that if you are a 2020 Dems, if you're one of the 23,000 Dems that are running for president, by the way, Hills and I are now running for president, we just announced. Yeah, so Um, 25 and 26. (laughs) Uh, I think you have to lay out your plan. I think you have to call out how terrible this abortion law is. And I think you have to say what you would do differently. There are conservatives out there uh, that don't like this law. I think it is too extreme. 
So I think if you put out, you know, saying uh, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land, you should respect it. There's precedent for it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Here's what I'm going to do to protect uh, the life of a child when they come out of the womb. I think that's where Dems can make their their point and um, can really show the discrepancy between them and Trump. Yeah, yeah. I think the conservatives and. <laughs> If they ever listen to this podcast, conservatives are always going to come out to vote for Trump, especially when he's going to promote um, this stuff in the campaign. So as a Democrat, your job is to A, energize your base and B, present good policy. Yeah. And and moderates will come along with it because moderates, I don't think, like this law either. And moderates and people who don't affiliate with a party who are easily swayed. Um, well, if you have a compelling vision, they're going to be like, okay, that makes sense. And I like this. And, um, I agree with that. Yeah. I think you have to stand by your principles. And I do think that moderates and even moderate conservatives, um, will come to your side because even though majority of conservatives are in favor of, or if they are pro-life, quote unquote, I think even the most some of the most extreme conservatives would still agree that this law is too restrictive. Uh, like Mitt Romney. Because you can trust whatever Mitt Romney says. He's not a flip-flopper. No, he's, he's very solid. Yeah. He's a leader, and <laughs> he's never once sold his soul. To... Not once. No, no, no. no he's, very, he's a very good leader. Yes. We hate Mitt Romney. <laughs> we hate him. I think we uh, we tied this one up with a bow, and we solved yeah, all the problems. Solved all the problems. Yeah. So everyone listening out there, uh, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take our thank you letters in cash. <laughs> cash and uh, shares, so everyone can listen. <laughs> um, okay. No, we know it's a complicated issue, but we 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 thought we needed to talk about it. Um, yeah. Even as not two white men. Two white men. Yeah. Okay. So coming up is going to be your entree. So we're going to talk for your entree about things that are uh, less divi- uh, d- divisive than abortion. Uh, we're going to talk infrastructure and healthcare. Sound good, Hills? Sounds great. Sounds uh, exhilarating. <laughs> exhilarating stuff, <laughs> but it is important stuff for the 2020 election. Uh, so infrastructure. Today or la- this week was infrastructure week again. I think we're on, what, week eight now? Maybe nine? This is the eighth or ninth infrastructure week of the White House. <laughs> and nothing has happened. Um, so what happened this week with infrastructure week? Well, in case you missed it, uh, Donald Trump was supposed to have a meeting with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. They were going to talk about infrastructure. Now, infrastructure essentially just means talking about bridges, roads, tunnels, any way that Americans uh, use for transportation. Um, it should be pretty universal. Both parties say they want to do something, but nothing ever gets done. So Trump was supposed to do this, supposed to go to th- this meeting. Uh, but right before this meeting, Nancy Pelosi had a meeting with Dems where she basically talked about um, how Trump was involved in a cover-up uh, regarding to the Russia investigation. Uh, according to a to reports that were inside the White House. Trump walked in. The meeting lasted about three minutes. He did not sit down. He stood the entire time and yelled 
and then decided he was going to walk out. And so that he would not be doing any kind of work with the Dems if they were still doing the I-word. The I-word being investigation. He actually said that. He, actually, he said the I-word. I thought the I-word was impeachment. Oh, you're right. Oh, impeachment or investigation. Either one. <laughs> Can you just wait? You picture for a second. I was... <laughs> So Trump is pissed off. He's like fuming. How could they dare? Could he they opens this? the door. Uh, Chuck and Nancy, you know, Are the dynamic sitting duo. They're <laughs> sitting there. They, they have a little cup of tea, a little water, right? They're just, they're waiting for president. We, you know, uh, took a big deep breath before he walked in. He comes in. He's pissed. He's literally. <laughs> Guns a blazing. <laughs> he's opened the door. He stands by the door. He's standing probably straight and tall and being like, why, why did you talk about the I would? I'm so pissed off. Goodbye. And he just literally leaves. It's like what a six-year-old does. Yeah. And then, well, Nancy Pelosi said he threw a temper tantrum. Yeah, I believe which, it. Yeah, which sounds right. It sounds like that's something that he would do. Uh, and anyone who's surprised about it is crazy. I mean, and then the, cra- the, the craziest thing is he then goes to the Rose Garden and is supposed to... Uh, you know, have this, uh, you know, meeting or something, and, and he talks about the I-word, and then uh, later, he's in his, he's in the Oval Office, and he has his supporters. He has uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. He has, um, you know, uh, Rudy Giuliani. He, and he has people come up and tell the press that he, that, that he acted very calm, very level-headed, very direct, and he'll say things like, oh, Sarah, was I throwing a temper tantrum in the, in the office? And she goes, no, sir. You were very straightforward. You were very temperamental. You, you, you were very direct. It's stuff that a dictator does. <laughs> Trevor Noah did this really well, uh, where he pretended to be an African dictator. And he asked his people, uh, asked uh, his subordinates if he was uh, a mean person. And they're like, no, sir. No, no, sir. Yeah. No, you were very I mean, great. <laughs> I mean, what kind of human What kind of human has to go to someone being like, did I throw a temper tantrum? No, sir. No, nope, no, nope. no. You did not. You did not throw a temper tantrum. You were strong and goodwill. <laughs> you were strong and goodwill. And that's, that's just so insane that that's the president of the United States asking people for reassurance that what he's doing was right. And they, of course, they agreed to whatever he says. Oh, yes, sir. You were very, very direct. You were very strong. But you, there was no temper tantrum. I just, Kellyanne Conway came up and she was like, no, sir. It was very, very direct. It was very presidential. It's like, what are you talking about? And he's like a, what, a 72, 73-year-old man? Yeah. 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 Good. Excellent. Yeah. That's excellent. So what does it mean? Uh, it, I mean, Trump is not going to work with the Dems if they are... Uh, going to impeach him if they are still doing their investigations. Uh, he's just refusing to run the country while they're doing that. And we have a spending bill coming up in September, I think. I think so. So like what, like four months, maybe five months? Uh, yeah, less than less than five. You know, about four months until that spending bill is due. And if Trump, he's already shown he's willing to sh- shut down the country if he doesn't get money for his wall. So who knows what this could happen in September. It's not good, though. Yeah, and then in, in the summer, Congress really doesn't... They don't work to begin with, right. but they really don't work in the summer. Right. So this thing is going to happen, and, um, you know, 
I want to I want to talk about uh, for a second because I think this plays into it. So was that meeting about impeachment or the investigations that Nancy Pelosi had before they went to the White House? Do we think that was intentional mm-hmm. because they wanted to make Trump angry, or do you think it was just was it was it intentional? Was it super strategic? Mm-hmm. Was Nancy Pelosi playing ten dimensional chess, or did it just was it just stupidity? And or just like, oh, we just happen to have this meeting on this day. I like to think that it was intentional. I like to think that Nancy Pelosi knows how to get under Trump's skin. And, you know, she she knows that Trump's not going to work with them. So might as well just make him look crazy, which he comes off as crazy. And maybe that's their uh, strategy for for now is, uh, you know, will just make Trump look insane. I also like to think that Nancy Pelosi has talked with the 2020 candidates, or at least the frontrunners, and has said, the Dems here are going to take, you know, Pelosi and Schumer, and any safe Dem will take the heat on infrastructure, on healthcare, and what we're currently doing. We're going to let you talk and develop your plan with your team. So you want to talk about the current stage of healthcare, or infrastructure as it exists today. Um, it's very clear that Nancy Pelosi gets under Trump's skin, so hopefully that was the, the intention. But um, what do you think, Elsie? I think that's very smart that you said, you know, Nancy Pelosi will be the lightning rod while the other people can go and do whatever they want, right. and Trump can be fixated on her. Um, the only The only danger to that is that you better hope that people in 2020 still vote. Democrats and yeah. they're not like oh we voted Democrats into power but they're not actually doing anything I mean they have passed a lot of laws in the House but they just can't right. pass the Senate so uh, I think that's really smart of her and I'm I'm hoping as well that she's playing the 10 dimensional chess yes. and knows that oh we're gonna have an impeachment meeting that's gonna leak out right and then it's gonna blow up Trump and he's gonna get mad at me and throw this whole thing off um, and it will look like he is destroying infrastructure week yet again right and this is an infrastructure, like I said in the opening, is something that is supposed to get people together. And Trump has the, well, the Republicans have the executive branch and they have one part of the House. So really, they don't have all the power, but most of the power is in their, uh, the ball is in their court most of the time. So if they don't do something on an infrastructure, you know, you can probably say that the GOP is doing nothing to help with a very bipartisan issue. Yeah, and they're not. They could have passed, passed infrastructure back in 2017. Yeah, uh, when the Republicans had literally all three branches of government. And honestly, Josh and I keep saying this: if Trump started with infrastructure after mm-hmm. the election and said, "Hey, you know what? You may be skeptical about me, but I'm going to get this big thing done, and I'm going to work with Democrats," and Democrats would have certainly came over. Oh, absolutely. They were sort of willing to give Trump a chance. They weren't sure. Democrats were reeling after the election. They, yeah. they were looking to make a deal. So I, I don't think there was any doubt that they would have come over and, and you know, then that would have built him up some goodwill. Yeah. Infrastructure is a big thing that hasn't really even been done since the Obama stimulus package in 2009. Yeah. So whatever president comes next, they, they got to get this thing done. And honestly, it should be their first thing because it's bipartisan. Right. It will show goodwill. They're at the peak of their power. They can yep. get something easily that's done instead of working on health care, which is going to 
mire them down. They can use the winnings from their infrastructure to do something, to do on something climate else, change yeah. or gun control or something like that. Yeah, I think it's a smart move. The 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 public will give high points to the pres the next yep. president who does this, and then they'll have even more political capital to do something else. I'm not sure why. You know, the old adage is that the you, the first thing you work on is going to be really the only thing you work on. But honestly, you got to rack up the smaller wins and you get yeah. the bigger one. Because it, imagine if you're the Democratic president and you get all the Dems on board for infrastructure. You then get uh, the fringe GOP. You're never going to get the deep GOP people. They'll always find something. People in Alabama and Arkansas will always find something to not like about the bills. Too much spending, even though they don't care about spending now. Um, but you get those fringe people, and then they come along, and you have enough people to, to pass it. The press gives it high praise. People like it. And then you can go and say, look, look how much everyone likes this. Let's move on to our next thing. And maybe the Democratic president can see somewhere and say, okay, you know, I don't want to do this, but we'll, we'll give you this in the infrastructure bill. Perfect. Okay, comes time around, hey, Remember that thing that I didn't want to put in that I did anyways? Well, now I need you to vote on this climate change bill. Yeah, it, it just you know it it's just how you just build up uh, goodwill that way. Yeah, yeah, you you rack up the small wins, you get the big one, and you tell the public, hey, you trust me on this, and I did this for you. Trust me on this again. We're gonna make this better. Right. Um, so what should the Dems do? Well, I think the Dem strategy for infrastructure is pretty simple. I think what you have to do if you're a Dem is you have to propose legislation. Nancy Pelosi has to pass it. Whatever infrastructure you want to do, uh, whether it's bridges, roads, whatever, pass it. And the GOP in the Senate will kill it. Even if they don't, Trump will veto it. Um, but then you don't look like you are the obstructionist. The American people put you into office to accomplish something. You are trying to do that. You've put forth a bill, it's infrastructure, it's bipartisan, it's fixing roads and bridges, everyone drives on them, uh, and it's also going to, to get people uh, jobs. And that's your bill. And people should want to support that. They don't, well, you know what, the president or the, or the Senate has killed it, but we're going to keep trying to pass different bills. I think you have to try to pass as many infrastructure bills as possible to tell the American people, you put us into office to do something we're trying, but we need a democratic Senate and we need a democratic president. I think I think infrastructure is also an intersectional issue too, because you can do so much with infrastructure. Infrastructure is every you know yeah. it's where, where how people get around and how people use things. So if you're gonna try and fight climate change, you yeah. your infrastructure bill could be a good way to experimentation. Like this bill could include lots of experimentation things about where the vision that Democrats want the country to go in. Your infrastructure bill can include lots of solar panels. Yeah. Uh, can include lots of uh, you know new roads that maybe have some solar technology in it. They have those in Sweden, um, in certain places. You can do a lot of different things by changing the entire energy grid with this infrastructure bill. This can right. be a place for really bold policy. And honestly, I mean, like the Green New Deal that has parts of infrastructure in it. But mm -hmm. you honestly, you honestly can start experimenting and start exactly passing law, passing the versions of this. So. When you have a Democrat who comes in, maybe they like something in uh, one of the 2020 candidates likes something that the House passed and they adopt it. Right. Maybe they say, hey, I like their format. I'm going to work with them on this to make it what even better. Yeah, this is a really good way. You know, just pass, pass these laws. 
yeah. pass these laws. So at least they're in the books. And the Republicans in 2017 literally had no plan. Right. They just went in head first and honestly have a plan. You'll just pass a bunch of laws and you'll that's it. Right. And you come off looking like a genius. And if you are a 2020 Dem in the Senate, then you should be supporting these or proposing your, your own bill. I mean, do something to show the people that you're not just sitting, you know, on your butt, not doing anything. Yeah. Second part of the entree is going to be healthcare. So there was a recent Reuters report uh, that the Trump team is going to plan on reusing the whole taking away your healthcare mantra that they used in 2009, 2010, um, because it was kind of successful then. And also they're trying to respond to the Medicare for All proposal, which... Uh, under some of the plans would eliminate, would phase out private health insurance and put everyone on a government system where uh, you get Medicare. Right. So they are thinking about using this because they, they are betting that whatever 2020 Dem candidate, especially more of the progressive ones that come through, they're probably going to have this as part of their platform. And the way to take back the healthcare issue, and Trump has been speaking about this more and more often because I think he is looking for this fight, after losing so badly on it, is that, oh, they're going to take away your health care, put you on a government-run system. They're going to reuse everything back in 20, 20, 2009 and 2010. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Not great, Hills. So uh, we're going to, this is going to be a really key test to see if Democrats can learn anything from the past <laughs> or if we're just going to be doomed to repeat the same old crap that the Republicans throw at us. So uh, first things first, what does this mean? This means that Trump is going to not cede health care away and that Democrats, uh, right now they're fine because they're going to talk about their own proposals. But during the general election, they have to be ready to battle on health care. The Democrats won 2018 on health care. So this right. is something that they need to be. If Dems need to be A plus in any category, this is the category they need to be in. And I hope every yep. communications officer right now is crafting a strategy that's simple, direct, and will tell everyone exact and remind people what the Republicans did in 2017. I don't think a lot of people forget forgot about this, but honestly, they're going to be saying some bad bad stuff during the election. Right. The Republicans are going to use scare tactics to say that the 2020 candidates want to take your health care away, which is just not true. Um, there's a great clip you can find Bernie Sanders on Fox News where. They say, you know what, you're going to take health care away from everybody and you're going to put them on a government plan. And Sanders says, how often does it happen where your, your, your private uh, employer changes health care plans or you lose your job or they're not covering this or that? And everyone raises their hand because it happens to everybody. When I was working at my previous job, they, we, we changed health care uh, insurance like three times in like my four or five years there. It was crazy. Healthcare changes all the time. Um, so when they say we're trying to take away your, your health care, it's just not true. We're trying to make sure you have permanent health care because um, the government's never just going away unless Trump wins in 2020. Um, then the government's going away. Yeah, then everything's going away. Uh, he's going to take it. So the Dems really have to, this is the time right now, to not just use soundbite responses, but like have comprehensive responses, like kind of like Bernie Sanders said, that are not going to be like, we're not taking away your health care. You know, like, people just want an answer. Right. People just want an answer, and they want to know, hey, Trump says you're going to take away my health care with Medicare for all. Is that right? You have to have an answer for that. Right. 
And it should be easy because this is what Democrats have been talking about forever, whether it's Medicare for all or a variation of it. This should be a really easy answer. And so Democrats right now have to be prepared for this argument to come back. Right. And, they, and as unfair as it is and as much as people have short memories, they have to remind people about 2017, about Trump's plan, about everything like that. And they have to be ready for this because it's coming. Right. I think that the answer has to be, you know, the president of the United States is saying, you're taking away my health care. Is this true? I think the answer has to be, no, I'm trying to make sure that you, that you always have stable health care. Even if you lose your job, even if, you're, even if your uh, personal employer changes health care plans, you will always have some form of health care. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to take it away. I'm trying to make sure that you always have it. Yeah. And that has to be the, the, the message. Because um, if you don't respond and don't have a clear and concise plan, you're conceding one of the biggest advantages that Dems have is when the Republicans were in control, they tried desperately to take away your health care. They tried to end Obamacare and take it away from you. We came back into power in at least the House on this issue. Trust us. Give us the full control of the government and we'll make sure that you always have health care. I better see so many ads of the Trump Rose Garden press conference where all those Republicans were clapping. 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 I think they had pizza or beer afterwards that they, when they passed um, their version of health care that took away all those uh, privileges and dismantled Obamacare and all that stuff in 2017, I better see all these commercials with that image everywhere because honestly, this is really easy and so that we've kind of been talking about this, but what should Dems do about this? Well, if they haven't already, Dems should really start to talk about own the issue of health care. Just own it. Just keep talking about it. Don't give Trump any space on this. And Trump is going to come as unfairly as it will be. Trump is going to come out with a plan that doesn't make sense. Uh, he's going to come out with a plan that doesn't have a plan. And it's going to be really simple because he is simple. And so what people may hear is that, well, Trump is planning to do this. Well, you know, this is part of politics. As Democrats, you have to have a really good answer about this. And yeah. remind, again, remind people what they did in 2017. Right. I think that uh, you need to have a very clear message. It has to be concise. It has to be simple. Don't make it some complex plan. Um, and be strong on it. If Trump comes and hits you, don't be afraid to hit back and you know call him on his shit because uh in the end the dems plan is uh pro people it's pro protecting people it's for making people safer and making sure that they have the health care that they need and the republican plan is let's just make rich people and rich companies richer since they support our campaigns and another thing is that the republicans and trump are going to lie they're going to lie. Oh, yeah. They're going to lie. They're going to say we are for protecting uh, people with pre-existing conditions. They're not. They don't believe that. If they did, they would be trying to get rid of Ob Ob Obamacare. <laughs> this is a why – are, why aren't we running for – well, we are running for president. Yeah, yeah we are. Yeah, we, yeah. That's, that's right. But, yeah. I mean, like, we're literally saying exactly what the Democrats should say. I mean, say it clearly. Say it simply. Um <laughs> yeah, and you know the funny it's not funny, it's really sad. But a lot of the voters who are impacted by uh who are going to be impacted yeah. by the health bill in 2017 and who continue to be impacted and don't have 
adequate medical care in this country yeah are trump voters are white working class or rural people i mean a lot yeah. of people don't have health care and that's a problem right. but i mean those are just they're they're impacted in all these southern states you have high uh you have high rates of like health issues um and i don't think it's it's cons- i don't think i think there's a correlation between the the legislature and the government that you yeah. have and the fact that all that a lot of uh, these the populations in these states have health issues, right? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a bit of a sidetrack. I think the one candidate right now who can make that argument the best is Joe Biden. I think he can go to Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and say, "Look, you know me. You know you can trust me. You trusted me when I was vice president, when I was senator, and whatever, whatever. You know, trust me when I when I, when I, when I tell you that." I'm going to make sure that you have health care for the rest of your life, that you have permanent health care that will never go away. You can trust me. Obama trusted me, right? You build on this trust issue and then say, don't trust Trump. What has he done? He is lying to you. Mm-hmm. I would never do that. I believe that, you know, politics is a sacred thing. It's in the honor of my life to serve, blah, blah, blah. You know, trust me and let me help make sure that you have health care for the rest of your life. Yeah, I think you brought up two good points there. Um, the trust issue, you can talk about all the scandals and stuff, how he's not trustworthy. Yeah. And like Trump is saying all this crap about healthcare now, right? But how he hasn't shown it. He hasn't shown it. That's one thing that I think could really uh, hit hard. And the other thing is that, honestly, I think Democrats have not taken back the, the white working class right. that Trump took from them. And this is an easy way to take them back to talk about health care to yeah. talk about the options and to clearly and simply state your policy because when trump comes back around and to michigan and pennsylvania wisconsin and maybe ohio though yeah. i was lost yeah. um you can ease they can easily be skeptical and that's all you need to do is that yeah. you make some of these voters skeptical to not vote for trump or maybe switch back to democrats and you've won wisconsin pennsylvania and michigan and even if you don't win florida you're still good yeah and you make Trump play defense in some more red areas, which is great. And he can't play defense because he doesn't know enough. <laughs> he doesn't know enough to play defense, so all his defense sucks. So it was, honestly, I, again, why are we the ones to be thinking well, I, of this? If you make Trump defend something he doesn't know what he's talking about, it's going right. to look even worse. Right. So Hills and I will be ending this podcast and going to run for uh, presidential campaigns. <laughs> yeah, or the DNC. Or the DNC. Or You're everything in above. Or the DNC. Yeah. All right, so I think we covered the entree pretty uh, well. Your uh, dessert is coming up next. So time for your dessert. Your dessert is all about social media and the dangers of thinking that Twitter and other platforms is everything. Uh, Just this morning, I saw a video that Trump and some uh, GOP-friendly companies had uh, produced. It was Nancy Pelosi was at a C-SPAN event um, talking about um, just Trump and healthcare and that kind of stuff. Uh, And she's an elderly lady, but she is certainly not drunk or having a stroke or anything. And this company uh, basically slowed down her voice, slurred her words, and made it seem like she was either having a stroke, unhealthy, or was, uh, you know, very, very sick, uh, or was drunk, or, you know, anything like that. And then they sent it out to people like Rudy Giuliani, 
president and those things and look at what uh, the, uh, the Speaker of the House is doing. And then those people in turn then proceeded to say, look at uh, Nancy struggling through this or, you know, look at Nancy's speech pattern. It's very concerning. Uh, meanwhile, the president has typed in Kofefe, Hamburgers, Joe Biden, and Rudy Giuliani legitimately had a stroke on on Twitter. I mean, it was the most insane thing. Was it Ibessa again or something? I mean, it was. It was. Awful. Well, it seems like he did. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I really don't know. Same with Kofefe. What the hell is Kofefe? Yeah, I think a lot of political reporters take Twitter way too seriously, and a lot of a lot of them the. You know the people, the political junkies are on Twitter a lot, and yeah. uh, there are a lot of people on Twitter. I'm not saying that there isn't, and not saying that things don't go viral and reach a lot of people, but I also think that Joe Biden is making this bet: is that the the progressives on Twitter who are very idealists and purists in a lot of different ways um, don't represent the party, and I think that's kind of right. I think a lot of people in this country, a lot of voting age people. Um, they may have gone on Twitter once or twice, but they're not on Twitter regularly. They're not on Twitter like political reporters are, like pundits are. They're not on Twitter like, um, you know, really big political junkies are or people who are really into politics. And I think that a lot of these candidates get caught up about what people are saying on Twitter and social media. And at a certain point, yeah, you need to respond to them. But at another point, I think you just need to be who you are and run your campaign and not worry about what people are saying on Twitter. Right. I would encourage everyone who's listening to just get off Twitter, get off social media for 24 hours, you know, do a detox. Um, whenever I'm, I'm on and I should do this as well. Um, I always see a poll, like who do you support for, for, for president Trump or Biden? And then if you end up voting on it, you realize that like, it's like, Oh, Trump 90%. And you have all these right wing, conservative nutjobs who are creating these polls and creating misinformation to say, look, Trump's so popular, you know, the Dems are so bad. And uh, just take a breath and just realize that so many people who aren't on Twitter uh, are, they're voting like you, they have your viewpoints, and Twitter is not everything, neither is Facebook. There is a Twitter account everyone should follow, they're called Sleeping Giants, and they basically... Uh, on Twitter, they basically call out big companies like Breitbart and Alex Jones who spread misinformation on purpose and call them out and say, like, you know, here's what they're saying, here's why it's not true, here are the actual facts. It's a really good uh, uh, group or person to follow. Um, so that's Sleeping Giants on Twitter. Um, give them, a, give them a, a follow because they do call out dangerous social media presences um, that can influence different elections and definitely played a part in, 20, uh, the, in the 2016 loss for Dems. Yeah, yeah. I Again, I think, uh, you know, taking whatever is on Twitter with a grain of salt, obviously there are lots of bots. They're not real yep. people. There are people who say they who look like real people who are not. And I think Twitter and social media... It, less face Facebook's a different animal, but Twitter, it's a good way to get your your message out and your candidate out. People, Mayor Pete is doing this. Yep. Um, and look, it's fine to look at what people are talking about you generally, but also just know that just because people are talking about you certainly on Twitter, yeah, doesn't mean they're talking about you in public that way. Um, and 
just because reporters are saying, oh, this looks really bad for Dems. Oh, this looks really bad for this person. Right. This was a really bad mistake. Honestly, they may not be right. And yeah. a lot of things are wrong. So what I'm, what we're just trying to say is you can use it to inform your strategy, but don't plan your strategy around it. And don't overreact to a tweet or a story or whatever that you heard that someone says bad news for Dems or good news for Trump or this or that because they don't know. (laughs) They don't know. They don't know. They live in Washington, D.C. or they live here in New York and they they're they're smart people but they honestly don't know everything. And they can't get outside their bubble. Yeah. All right. Nice and sweet. Nice and sweet. Exactly. Your pre-dinner shot answer though is coming right up. You've been patiently waiting the answer to your pre-dinner shot. So when was where we Roe versus Wade decided? It was in 1973. Wow. The case, not that long ago. No, not really that long ago. The case was first um, brought up to the court in 1970 or 71, but it wasn't decided until 73. Sometimes the Supreme Court takes a little while. <laughs> and the extra credit, um, who was Roe and who was Wade... Um, Roe was the name of the couple who filed suit in the dis- the Northern District of Texas on um, on behalf of a woman named Corvey, and the alias was Jane Roe. The defendant in the case who opposed, I guess, the practice of abortion was the Dallas County District Attorney, and his name was Henry Wade, and he represented the state of Texas. So there you go, Roe versus Wade. That, you that's go. your answer. Yeah. Well, hope you enjoyed the show today. Yeah. Uh, Hills, it was great doing a live show. We should do more of these. Live show. We're going to. Live gonna, from LIC. From LIC. Maybe we have a, a three course Save America tour. <laughs> we just, we talk in different, uh, different <laughs> on different kitchen tables in different towns. Yep, in different towns. Yeah. Uh, we should go to Iowa and New Hampshire. Yeah. And do some, 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 uh, Three course politics uh, tours there. Yeah, three course politics tours, and we can't sell out auditoriums yet. Nope, not yet. We can barely fill out a four person kitchen table. <laughs> you know <laughs> hey, what? You wait, we'll, start we'll, somewhere. we'll get the other two people to oh, the we'll kitchen table. Yeah, we'll get them. We'll Maybe we'll make some food for them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this has been great. We'll hope to do some more live shows, and we'll keep you posted on. Uh, when our next shows are. Remember to follow Three Course Politics on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends to subscribe and different them if they don't. <laughs> and leave us different reviews and uh, your thoughts on it. We love the feedback. We love people listening. So, uh, yeah. Hills, thank you. Thank great. you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys.